years. But then there's a, kind of that same feel. Um, I think you lose it a little maybe if you're empty nester. But even in our society, you get that same feel when school is starting. Something new is coming up. And you go school shopping, new teachers, new grade, or new subjects, new grade level. And you really get excited. And, and a lot of times in the fall, it's a time to look back and say, man, I didn't make any of those New Year's resolutions happen. I had a lot of good goals, and maybe it's a time to reset. Well, this, this school year, we're going we're gonna to do this, or we have this goal for these upcoming months or before the year ends. It's a, a time to relook and, and revisit. And, and as we uh, begin to do that, uh, we have the opportunity uh, to really get a new perspective. And uh, I'm going to actually walk back here because I left my clicker. You know, there we go. Now, Randy used to be a quarterback in high school, and I had to be his receiver. I almost had him throw it to me, but, um, you know, his goal was to leave a mark on my chest that was an X from how hard he threw it. Um, it worked, <laughs> but it made me have good hands. So. Um, so as we look at new, I was thinking in this kind of way, you know, my brain works. I look at words. I love words, and we often speak with words. And so I thought of all these words uh, when we talk about something new. Rebuild, refresh, return, revision to restore, re-energize, regain, and, and reflecting, and refurbishing, restart, and remember. That prefix R-E is powerful, isn't it? It means to get a fresh start, to return again, to see something done over and over. It's a mutual reaction. And as we look at this powerful list of words, some of these words come out of moments in your life that are either brokenness or on the backside of tragedy or struggle. We rebuild after something is broken down. Um, We refocus when we lose focus. We return to a place we left. We restore uh, something to make it like it used to be. And then you can also use these words on the the front end of an exciting new opportunity or vision to re-energize, to reward, even to refocus, to hone in. And so there are different times and seasons in our lives where we look for this. And I wonder where you're at this morning, if you're to take time and just look back and say, where am I at with Christ, with Jesus, with following him this morning? I wonder if you picked a few of those words, what you would say, man, this is what I need this morning in my life, in my uh, walk with the Lord, in your pursuit. Um, I wonder where you would say we're at as Incline Church. Um, we're about a year and a half, 18 months into this adventure with the Lord, coming up on the end of our uh, second year, coming up here in 2018. What does it look like? Where do we need to keep focusing and stay laser sharp on that vision to make disciples? Uh, over the next two weeks, we're going to revisit our vision, which we've called One. That's our, our vision for our first three to four years of getting established as a church and uh, estab- establishing healthy leadership, financial independence, but most importantly, reaching 
one more person for Christ, helping one more person who's disconnected grow or take that next step with Jesus Christ. And that's what we hope for you. And um, we have a little letter on the connect table folded up back there just with a mid-year update on what's going on. And, and um, we're excited about what God is doing. And today I was led in the series and just thinking of a, a passage about these items right here. And so if you don't know where the book of Zechariah is, an easy way is to turn to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, and then go back two books. Past Malachi, then to Zechariah. Now, I want to sort of set the scene because we are jumping in in Zechariah 4 today in the middle of this prophetic book. Um, so who is Zechariah? What point in the history of Israel are we jumping into here in order to understand what God is saying to them and then try and see where that is for us today? Well, the nation of Israel, if you remember, they rebelled against the Lord and as part of the fulfillment of prophecy and judgment, they were taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. And many of them were taken, uh, the most famous of which may be Daniel, to Babylon, and the city was plundered. And, and, and they had a glorious temple and palace, the, the, the palace built by David, and then Solomon came along and they built this majestic temple for the Lord. And they had finally returned, and upon their return in this book called Nehemiah, uh, they rebuilt the wall for protection. It was God put on his heart to go back and to help that remnant as the exiles began to return. And immediately an, an altar was built so they could begin sacrifices, and they were beginning to put the foundation for the temple to have it restored. But then 20 years passed and nothing happened. There was opposition both to building of the wall and, and to the rebuilding of anything that was still present. And there was apathy. People are just like, eh, I don't know. It's not going to happen. They lost all their momentum. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot like that where you have these lofty goals or this desire to grow spiritually or to make a difference or to make a change, and then you just lose momentum. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced that, or maybe you're in that place right now. You need a, a, to get motivated, refocused, re-energized for your walk with the Lord. And that's where the people of Israel were at. They were in this place where they had lost their momentum, and they were struggling. And they had struggles in attitude. They had uh, struggles in even getting motivated and so, you know, sometimes when you're in that spot, it's not even that you're doing horribly or rebelling against God. It's just that you're kind of going along and you can look back and say, well, I'm doing a lot of good things, but man, am I making disciples? Where are we at as a church? We got a lot of things going, but are we still focused on the main thing of rescuing people that are lost and helping people take their next step in their growth with Jesus Christ, building one another up. Um, well, this is where they were at in Israel, and the Lord began to move, and he began to move really in the hearts of four men. Um, uh, in the prophets Haggai and in Zechariah, he began to move and speak through them. But then uh, he also began to work in Joshua, who's the priest at the time, and Zerubbabel. 
Uh, anybody have kids coming up? Zerubbabel. We're going to have some good names that you can use this morning. And uh, so the first he moved, and we read of it in, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of of the Lord of hosts, their God. And so God saw this need in his people and he began to stir their hearts and to work in the midst of them. And then we come to Zechariah 1.1 where we get an introduction to him and it says, In the eighth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo which I I find it very interesting because in the Old Testament, a lot of times the names were given to people, especially in the Hebrew culture, and the names had meaning. They had uh, depth. They would often play out in their lives as how God would use them. It's quite amazing how God works that. And and so his father's name here means the Lord blesses. And his grandfather's name means in his time. And Zechariah's name actually means Jehovah remembers. And so Jehovah remembers to bless in his time. Is what you get just from the introduction of Zechariah and his name. And this is really the overall theme of the book. As he begins to give these amazing visions, we will see that the key thing is for the people is to say, Jehovah remembers to bless in his time. They were 20 years removed from the exile. They had been returned. Things were beginning to be restored. And so they were having to trust that he would be helping them out. Now, as we come to chapter 4, a little bit on how I approach the Old Testament, we want to look at it in its context, look at what it meant, this prophecy to the hearers of it, And then we look and say, well, which aspects of this prophecy, the truth that is being told, is echoed elsewhere in the Bible? Even in the New Testament, are there some truths that we can glean that apply to us today? And so that's what we're going to do. And uh, it begins, it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, The angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. Now, I don't know if any of you are into, uh, you see it online all the time, but, uh, you know, doing the word art to take notes from the pastor. I want to see your drawings of this. But kids say, you know, when it says lips, that's actually the the spout. So seven spouts where oil comes through. It's not like you draw a bunch of lips on the side. Um, But it's interesting to see some of these visions and what they said. And we'll get into what it means here in a moment. he, he, He responded and he said, I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do not, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward to the top stone, or the capstone, amidst the shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this hand, and his hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Anybody got to count how many times I'm going to say Zerubbabel today? Um, These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are the two olive trees at the right and left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said, what are these two branches of the olive trees beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord. And he says, these are my two anointed ones, referring to Joshua and Zerubbabel, the ones he has appointed to carry forward his work. And so in the midst of this, we begin to say, what is the Lord saying? Well, he's speaking hope. He's remembering in his time to bless them. And we've talked about this. Actually, it's tied in with several of the passages we've looked at here at Incline this summer. We looked in uh, James, and then we looked in another psalm that talked about oil. And oil often represents the Spirit of the Lord in these visions and uh, throughout the Scriptures. Oil is a good representation of who the Lord is. And the number seven in that culture in that time is the idea of completeness. It is the idea that it, it is complete or full or um, fully coming true to fruition. And so we have this idea of the Holy Spirit working, but all of the sevens, the seven lips, all of these spouts, 49 in total, um, gives us this idea of the complete work of the Lord. And as we look more specifically at this verse, it's a famous verse, right? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If you see this lamp, it's got all these spouts, and the idea is that the lamp is a light, it's a testimony. The people, the nation of Israel was always a testimony of Jehovah. And how he worked through them and their faith in him. And people would fear the Lord through them. And many of them had forgotten those days of the glory of the Lord shining through the nation. And the idea of a lamp, even Jesus said that we are a lamp. We are a light shining whenever we follow him and and speak of his truth and his goodness. So that the world may see our good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And so this idea of a lamp with the oil flowing through it gives us a picture of God encouraging Joshua. And here specifically in this chapter, Zerubbabel saying, I know it looks daunting, but I am here for you. I mean, if if we're to look at that and and to look at the number of people he had, and, and if you even remember anything from the Old Testament about how the first temple was built, I mean, we... It takes us months to build a new home, and they are having to move stone, and it is hard work. They don't have the tools that we have, and so it was a huge task, and the amount of help and labor and even supplies that they had was minimal compared to what they'd had in their history, and so it's no doubt that they were worried 
They needed a word of encouragement. They're like, Lord, is this even going to happen? I don't know how we're going to do this. And so this verse comes and it speaks. And it really gives us this picture of the Lord's power. And so the lampstand represents constant and sufficient supply. I love those two words. It's constant. We, we go and we do things or you climb a mountain like we saw and you're... I wish my energy were constant uh, or sufficient. But, uh, we have to get refueled. But the power of the Holy Spirit flows and it is always available and He never, ever grows weak. And it's sufficient. He gives us what we need when we need it. He was telling them, you will have the resources, the human resources, the supplies, the strength you need when you need it. But it's not going to be by your own power. <laughs> it's going to be by relying on myself and on my power. So much so, he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, Who are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. He's saying, listen, this is a huge task before you, but when God is involved, he makes it level ground. And you go a lot smoother on level ground than you do going up and so God is saying listen we are going to overcome these obstacles you need to be encouraged you need to be lifted up I know people are apathetic around you and they're saying eh, I don't know people have tried over the last 20 years to start and it never seems to get going anybody see that place up by powers below new life they finally have a movie theater in it but it's been there for years and even when you start to see cranes or things there, you drive by and what do you say? Eh, we'll see if they actually get to work on it or not. That's the way they kind of were in Jerusalem passing by this. We'll see if this temple ever happens or not. And so they began to doubt. And, and in the midst of that doubt, we see it says this, Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes progress is hard to see. <laughs> it's hard to see the little things going on. Um, if you've ever built a home, uh, back when Rachel and I got married 15 years ago, we were one of the first to be able to afford a home out there as teachers off of uh, Mark Scheffel and Highway 24. And, you know, we thought, oh, man, this is going up fast. All the framing was up, a roof was on. And then it was like these small, slow details. And uh, if you were to go day in and day out, you may not notice them. It was over time you notice the change began to happen. And so uh, these small things, people are starting to say, yeah, that's no big deal. They're doing this or that. that they wanted a big moment, um, a giant change, something that would pop or stand out. <laughs> they were looking for some big thing to happen. I think that's often how we can look at the Lord and His work in our lives. We want to see these big 180 moments, these big changes, and yet it's over time, it's the small things that matter and build up in our lives. And, you know, why bother, they would say. Um, I can imagine the people would look and say, you know what, it's never going to be the same as it was with Solomon, so why should we even rebuild it? Why should we even invest in it? Um, it can be quite frustrating. It can even be disheartening. And they, 
They just couldn't see what things might be. I love uh, Bruce Barton, one of the U.S. Uh, founders uh, and writers and politicians during the early days, not a founder, but um, sometimes when I consider what a tremendous consequence comes from little things, he said, I'm tempted to think there are no little things in life. And the same is true with the Lord. There are no little things. And so he's saying, whoever's despised the day of small things will rejoice. And they will see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. He will be their ruler. He will guide and bring balance and, and bring that hope back to the people. And uh, God took pleasure in the sweat and the toil of those who were doing the small things. He saw it. That last phrase there says, the seven eyes of the Lord which range throughout the whole earth. That's completeness. God completely sees everything. There's nothing that happens on the earth that he does not see. He does not notice. Reminds me that even within our church community, there's no small task when it's done for the glory of God. It may not be recognized like standing up and speaking or singing, and yet when you serve the Lord with your gifts, it builds up his kingdom and he notices it. He always is the one who notices the least of these, the broken vessels, the weak ones. He uses the little things and the little things make a difference. And that's a great reminder for us, not only when we talk about the body of Christ, or we're talking about everyone here in this local church, but we're a part of the body of Christ in this city and in this nation and in the world. We're just one piece of it, and we don't want to despise the day of small things of God allowing us to vest in people over at a park, because that matters to the Lord. Each person who we get to invest in makes a difference. Prayers make a difference. Nothing is small in the Lord's eyes. There, there was a man who came upon a construction site, and he saw the guys working. They were chipping away, and these masonry uh, people were working on stones. And he went up to the first man, and uh, he said, you know, what are you doing? And he says, well, can't you see? I'm chipping away at this stone. He went up to the next guy and said, well, what are you doing? And the man said, well... I'm building a wall. And he went up to the third one. And he said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm helping build a cathedral. <laughs> they all told the truth. But what a difference each perspective made on what they were being a part of. The one saw his small bit of work as a part of the grander scheme of things. And that's what we need to view with our lives and what God is doing with the seeds of the gospel and building one another up through the Spirit. And so as I looked at this, and as you look in here and you begin to wrestle through this, it says, not by might, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And there are no small things. Well, as Jesus prepared his disciples, he said, unless I go away, you will not do greater things, and I will send a helper to be with you. And then in Acts, he said, and you will receive power when the Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond into the world. He said, our power will come when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us as followers of Christ. It's not by our might, nor by our power, but by the Spirit working in us that we are gifted 
to see the kingdom build up and disciples made and to see this group of 12 move to a group of 144, move to thousands who came before the Lord on the day of Pentecost, move to a church movement when Paul spread the gospel and others began to start up churches in the New Testament, even to our world here today. It's not by man's power. It's impossible that we would survive all the persecution. And yet God's church still grows because Jesus said, I will build my church. And ultimately, when Jesus came, the Messiah, and we understand through the New Testament that he is the ultimate priest, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all on the cross. He is the king of all kings, worthy of our worship. And he is a prophet among all prophets, speaking all truth, only truth, all the time. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And so as we look at that, we we look here that we see God is working through a prophet, a priest, and a a ruler in Zerubbabel. We see that now Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And so we can come to him and we can begin to apply these principles and and look at our lives and even our church this fall. And we can uh, be challenged to reconnect with Jesus, rely on the Spirit, rest in the sovereign grace of God. And see our lives changed. Well, the first thing we need to do is reconnect with Jesus. And what I mean by that is is maybe you've gotten so busy or your schedule has been out of rhythm this summer. Have you had time to spend with the Lord in prayer, just soaking in his word? Is there any way that you can provide for your spouse or lead your kids? Or gain some space this week even to spend a little bit more time with Jesus. Because it is about a relationship with Him. Not just a checklist of, of things to do. You may, you may start with prayer. Or you may feel the Holy Spirit is leading you just to confess some struggles or doubts or even sins in your life. I'd encourage you to Take time and just pick one of the Gospels, read through Jesus' time on the cross and the resurrection, and remind yourself of the power of that true moment in history. Or Ephesians 1 and 2 is a great uh, book to start with to reveal the mightiness of God and how he views you and wants to connect with you personally and knows you personally. And what does it look like to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, oftentimes I think, you know, I can fix this. I can do this. I mean, God has really, church planning can be pretty humbling because you think you can make a plan, but ultimately you can't control anything. I can't control one of you. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I can't control other people, and you cannot control other people. We can't control spiritual outcomes. And yet, we can surrender to those truths and be aware as we live life that there are moments we have to surrender and trust that God is in charge of our lives. And there are definitely moments where I've been brought to the fact that I have no control. And when we come to that point, that's when God is ready to use us. And then we move forward in obedience and just, Lord, I just feel this impression you want me to pray for this person today. Stop and pray. I need to go over and encourage that coworker today. Go encourage them. 
respond. Get, don't just be hearers of the word on Sunday morning, but take one thing, one nugget from a song, from the sermon, from a conversation, and say, Lord, how can I live that out this week to bring you glory? That's when we begin, we begin to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit is listening and obeying, and it begins to build our relationship with Him. Because we can do things with all sorts of false power. I know that, uh, you know, the energy drinks Munster, Red Bull, Mountain Dew 5000 or whatever it is, you can just zip them up and people, when they first came out, there's a surge of people are like, oh, I can get all this energy. And then there was also a new surge. The ERs were beginning to get filled with heart problems. People, um, the jitters, they couldn't uh, calm down. Patients were having negative reactions uh, to the drinks alone, combining them with uh, either a prescription they had been taking or, or drinking alcohol and combining them. And, and they're discovering that, you know what, there are a lot of places to, for energy, but when you go to the wrong source, things usually don't work out. <laughs> We need to go to the right source for our power, and that is to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit, who he's given us as our helper to reveal the scriptures, convict us, and guide us into obedience and making a difference. See, the, the reality is that God doesn't need Kevin Bowes to plant a church. He doesn't need Incline Church, but he, he didn't even need the people in this passage to rebuild his temple. He could have snapped his finger and poof, there it was. But he chooses to allow us to participate in his work because that ultimately brings him more and more glory and makes his name known even more. And so as we do this, we have to rest in the sovereign reign of God. Trust that he's got it under control. All I see are small things. We might not even know this, the small things going on. There are people I've been praying for and and some men I've been praying for in the past, and I'm like, ah, nothing is happening. There's one man I, I met and I just talked with, and he was burnt by the church. We had lunch, and I just shared with him and, and said, listen, Christians sin. We make mistakes. But the Lord's family is the Lord's family. And you need to guide your family. They need you. Eighteen months later, he showed up at church and said, that day changed his life, but I didn't see anything going on but he said no the spirit just wouldn't let it go and he wouldn't let it go day after day and eventually he responded so you have to obey do do your best and trust god with the rest because ultimately uh, revival isn't a feeling it's a rekindling of the truth and the mission of the gospel in our souls and sometimes that leads to a feeling, sometimes that leads to excitement, but ultimately, if we revisit the gospel and understand it, then that's when we begin to reconnect with the Lord, rely on the Holy Spirit, and trust in Him. Revival isn't a feeling, it's a rekindling of that gospel truth. So over here, we, we have this banner, and it's the idea of one. And at the bottom of it, uh, there's this verse. Uh, it says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance than over a hundred who think they're righteous. We want a taste of that joy. 
I mean, imagine that. The greatest party in heaven is over one person who comes to know the Lord. Even more so than a hundred who think they've got the right plan to build that building. <laughs> or think they've got it all figured out. Isn't that exciting to know that we can be a part of one person or maybe one person who's disconnected coming back? And our hopes at Incline is to intentionally invest invest in the eternal, to keep it simple, to realize one soul matters at a time, to realize that joy is possible to discover in the Christian life, in following Jesus Christ. And it's not a a feeling, it's this perspective of hope. And as we're in a community together, we remind each other that hope we have in the midst of the hard times and even in the good times to remember that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. And so, whenever I send out our weekly updates or things, you see my headlines. This is exciting. I'm trying to remember. I want to build a culture of celebrating not just the big things, because there are big transitions that you make as you grow a church, but then there are small steps, like uh, getting organized and having two different teams for setup. Praise the Lord! (laughs) Seeing new men learn these things, and women come in and help in setting up this area. Not just two of us like Bob and I used to do. That's not a small thing. (laughs) We praise the Lord for that. In two weeks, we're going to have a huge praise. Um, Our district, we're with the Evangelical Free Church. Greg Fell's coming in. He's our superintendent. And he's going to help us. And we're going to install our first lay elders. Our first elders coming on board of uh, Young Wan Lee and Jerome Brackeen, which is explained in our letter. They went through a fun process, but God's confirmed in their lives this calling and the character and quality necessary god is building his church god is at work even those of you uh, who have been moving into this community god knew a long time ago he was going to shift us from our old meeting place to here to connect with new people and encourage you in your walk and encourage one another i wonder what steps you need to take this week to reconnect with the lord Set aside time to be with him, even if it is today, and make it a priority and listen to him and respond. He is faithful. God remembers in his time. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten us. Even though the world around us may seem like it's moving farther and farther away from Christ, his plans are moving forward. Lives are still being changed, and we can be a part of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you 